Journey. Nice to see you all. My name's Chris. Really glad you are here, man. It's been a, it's been a good morning so far. Uh, I was, was driving here this morning, bright and early. Uh, because of the time change, I got to see the sunrise. And so I was just coming down uh, love off of Jack Rabbit, heading towards the commons and just watching the, the sky burst with colors. And as I was driving, the, the song that was playing was this song uh, by a guy named Michael Gunger, and, and he was like belting at the top of his lungs, I am coming home. I am coming home. And, and I just, as I was driving, I was overcome a little bit just in that, that picture that God was giving me this morning, that this idea of coming home. And then I, I watched two people uh, be baptized and I thought, you're coming home. And, and then I saw all of us stand up together and sing and applaud that. And I'm like, we're all coming home. What it's just such a, a great picture of what it means to come together as the family of God. And so uh, on top of that, it was a really great sunrise if you missed it uh, too. Besides that, uh, I'm really glad you're here. Like today's a, an extra meaningful day for me. It, it marks the end of our series that we've been going through, the, the way of Jesus, radical love and action. And while uh, ending a series doesn't seem like it should be any big deal, it's, it's actually quite ordinary. We end series all the time uh, around here at Journey. Uh, every few weeks is the end of a series type of thing. But th- this one was different uh, for me. The, the first part of it is that you all welcomed me back as one of your pastors, and this was uh, the, one of the first series, really, that I got to put some of myself into uh, alongside our, our staff and our team that, that puts these things together, and so uh, I just... I just meant something to me to show up back here in Bozeman, Montana, a place where I was born and raised at a church where I grew up and learned ministry and uh, lots of things happened in my life here. And then here I am back kind of pouring all of this out with all of you. But what's crazy about that is that I also live in Phoenix. And, and so, so my wife lives in Phoenix. She's finishing medical school there. And so you go, man, how is this gonna work? And it has. I, I don't know. By the grace of God, it's, it's working. Uh, and so this is just a mark something special for me. And the, the second reason that this marks a, a special or meaningful day for me is that, again, I've always loved Bozeman and I've always loved the Journey family, but I never intended to come back. Like, I, I never thought I would end up back here. And so in coming back and saying yes to, to that, while it was pretty hard to argue with some of what God was doing in that, I pretended to have uh, a role in that too. And, and what I was adamant about in pouring my life out in, in the, the kingdom of God here in Bozeman with all of you is that there would just be, be something that would be happening in our church that we would be talking about that, that just zeroed in on what it really means to follow Jesus. And that we wouldn't pull any punches about what it means to give up our lives, to go with him where he leads us. That that would, just, that would be what we are about. And so, and coming back, you might not like everything that I have to say, I'm not even sure I like everything I have to say, to be honest. So like, I'm still sorting through some of the challenges I issue myself for that matter. But, but above all, I just I wanted us to grasp what it would mean to fall in love with Jesus and, and to let our love for him and our love 
his love for us like influence every single thing that we do. And so this day concludes a series where we've been talking about the way of Jesus and it's extra meaningful to me because I, I believe we're doing it. Like together, we're, we're figuring that out together. And, and, and when, when I stand up here and share with all of you or when Bob stands up here and shares with all of you, I, I feel like we're going in that direction together. And, and I think that's because God's shaking something loose in our church. I think God's shaking something loose in our valley. It seems that God might even be shaking things loose in, in our world as well. And, and I'm glad that we're in this together. I'm glad we get to be doing all of this. And what I'm, what I'm learning is that we're going to enter into this conversation today as well, is that we have to keep going to these places that are hard where they, they shake us and they challenge us and the, and the foundation that's been uh, maybe laid improperly or wrongly comes loose and we plant something new there. And what we're going to learn as we end a series on Jesus is where there's no death, there can be no resurrection. And while this happens once and for all in the person of Jesus, we also enter into this cycle of death and resurrection every single day when we rise from our beds, that, that we die again to ourselves and we let Jesus be the one that leads us and goes before us and so we go with him and I just love this picture that we're capturing right now that following Jesus in his way it's it's never an easy thing Mark even said it as he was baptizing but it's always worth it and I think we're going to continue to learn that it's worth it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to hurt at times. But the way of Jesus is ultimately going to be worth it. And so thank you for adventuring with us these first 10 weeks as we kind of set out uh, on this mission together where, where really we're highlighting what it means to lead people to radical love and action like Jesus. And it seems that for that to happen, we have to go first. And, and we're doing that together. So today as we finish up the series on the way of Jesus, we're going to step into the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to read from Mark 15 and 16, put a little bit of that together for us, then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll see what it is the Spirit desires to teach us. How's all that sound? Sounds good, okay. All right, well, I'm going to start reading in Mark 15, verse 42. There's a bunch of a scripture on your notes page. I believe it'll be on the screen as well. You can follow along with me, however you want to do that. Verse 42. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were, sorry, sunrise caught me. 
<laughs> On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Then they briefly reported all this to Peter and his companions. Afterward, Jesus himself sent them out from east to west with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. God, we, we love you. We thank you that you are a God who allows us this opportunity to gather in this space as a family. For many of us, this is another picture of what it means to come home. We thank you for the invitation. We thank you for welcoming us. God, we acknowledge that your Holy Spirit is already here, already present, already working, and already moving. And we invite you through the power of your Spirit to speak to each one of us as individuals. Allow us to hear from you. If there's things we carry with us, into today, which I'm sure there are, would you grant us the grace to set them before you and allow you to speak to, to those things we carry as well as directly to our hearts and lives, God. I pray that you would also speak to us as a collective family of God, that your words, that your presence would capture us as a people and that we would be drawn to you as a community and we would live in the way you've called us to live. And God, I pray for myself. I pray that you would give me your words to speak this morning. I pray that I would only say things that are for you and from you. I pray that I would speak in such a way that honors you and your son Jesus, who willingly walked this earth and died, who was buried and raised to new life by the power of your spirit, God. I pray that my words and all of our presence here this morning would honor you and make much of you and point to you and that we couldn't help but fall more in love with you today. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So I've been, I've been wrestling with my, my tendency to over-preach this text. Right, the, the scripture that we have before us that we just read together, uh, I, I want to over-preach it so to speak, which maybe means nothing to you, but it means everything to me. It means I want to tell you all the things you should know or believe about what we just read. And so as I wrestle with that, what I'm really hoping that I do, and I'm hoping that you'll go with me in this, I'm hoping that I just frame for us this story from the, the crucifixion to the burial to the resurrection of Jesus, that I frame it in such a way that you would be able to enter into it. You would step into it, you would look around, and you would pay attention to what's happening in a way perhaps that you haven't before. 
that you would participate in the story in some way. And that even as you do that, and, and I don't offer all the prescription you need to know about it, that, that you would even now begin asking the Holy Spirit to teach you what it is that you need to hear and what it is that he wants you to experience in this time together. And so I'm gonna do my best to, to kind of open it up. I was thinking a little bit about like the idea of, of stepping into Narnia, right? Like that, that you, would, you would step through that portal and, and you would look around and you would see it in a way that was different than if I just told you about it. But in order to do that, I think it's worth noting that we have a tendency to look at something that we're somewhat familiar with and no longer be surprised by it. Right, like I can tell you Jesus died on the cross, he was buried and he rose to new life and we'll go, yeah, as opposed to, What? Right, like we, as opposed to just being moved or, or, or taken aback by it. And so I kept asking myself, how do we continue to be surprised by the death of Jesus and by his resurrection? And, and I'm, I'm not sure there's like secret sauce to that other than inviting the spirit to, to open up our hearts and our minds again to, to receive it as if it would surprise us. And so that's what I'm asking us to do. So let's do our best to open up our minds and our hearts afresh to a story that we already know. And before I open up that wardrobe and we step inside, I want to just give us a little bit of context of the Gospel of Mark. We haven't been in the Gospel of Mark throughout this series on the way of Jesus, and so I figured it was a good time as any on the last week to enter into the Gospel of Mark so that we would get a picture of all four of the Gospels over our last 10 weeks together. And so the Gospel of Mark was written by a guy named John Mark. And, and he was the one who, to write the, the first of the four Gospels. And so the Gospel of Mark was written about the year 70 AD or so, and it was the first of the four Gospels written. It's likely the other Gospel writers used it as a guide in their writing as well. And the Gospel of Mark was written mainly to answer the question of, was Jesus the Jewish Messiah? Which begs another question. Messiah, right, what is the Messiah? Who is the Messiah, right? The Messiah was the one who would come and overthrow the present day oppressors, in this case, the Romans, and rule as king and assert the people of God as those in the kingdom, right? You see the language of king and kingdom happening with Messiah here, but the thing that we know now, if we just pay attention to what I read is that Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans. He was killed by them. Jesus loses. But as we know, it turns out it was just a really unique way to win, right? Winning by way of sacrifice and self-emptying love, Jesus wins and asserts himself as a totally different king than they would have expected or that I think we even still expect in our own lives to this day. It's this backwards way of the kingdom. So what is the gospel of Mark trying to communicate? Well, the first part is who is Jesus, right? It's explaining who Jesus is. We learn about his life, his ministry, the things he's up to. And then the second part is how Jesus becomes the messianic king. And that's where we enter the story today. A few weeks ago, we talked about the last meal, 
that Jesus shared with his disciples. And as they were finishing that meal, Jesus and his disciples go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And as Jesus is praying, he's asking that there would be another way because he knows what's coming. But he says, no, God, your will be done. And he goes the way of sacrificing. And so as he's in the garden praying, he comes back three times, the disciples are sleeping. We now know that's because they had had a lot of wine at the Last Supper. And so now here they are together and Jesus says, time to get up, my betrayer is coming. His betrayer turned out to be one of his closest friends, one of his disciples, one of his followers. His name was Judas and he had brought the authorities with them and he greeted Jesus with a kiss and that's how they knew that this was the one they needed to arrest. And so they take Jesus from this garden and they take him before the courts. And as all of this is playing out, this is the time in which they berate Jesus. They mock Jesus, they beat Jesus. And as the story of the messianic king is playing out, they even mockingly call him the king of the Jews. And the mocking goes so far as that they form this crown out of thorns, these giant thorns, and they take it and they press it down hard on his head until it cuts through his skin. And then they they beat him. And after his flesh is torn open, they put a robe on him and they say, look, the king of the Jews, and they now have covered him in a robe, mocking him further. And so now he's dressed like a king. And this king now is given his own cross, the cross he's going to die on. And they say, carry this king. The king carries his cross that he will be lifted up on in front of all of the people. And so Jesus carries this cross, beaten Jesus, bleeding Jesus. He takes the cross and he carries it up the hill. He gets to the top of the hill. And there they lay him on this cross that he had carried up the hill. And Roman soldiers grab these nails and a mallet. And as they lay him on the cross, they take them and they put him through his arms. And then they put him through his legs. And he's now attached to this torture device. And they take that cross and they lift it up, the king rising up and they put it in the ground and it shakes into the ground and now Jesus is hanging on the cross. The king of the Jews. And as Jesus is there dying, there comes a point that Mark records this where this Roman soldier looks up at Jesus, one of the men who is putting Jesus on the cross to die, looks up and says, truly this man is the son of God. There are so many ways to view and interpret what this death and the coming burial and resurrection of Jesus mean for us and all of humanity. But I want to turn the gem of it all a little bit. And I want us to look at a few details I think we tend to pass by. Let me go back now to Mark 15, 42. Jesus has now been crucified. He is still hanging on the cross. 
And Mark writes in verse 42, this all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was the one who issued Jesus to be crucified. He was in charge at the time. And Joseph, it says, was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead. So Pilate told Jesus he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Now, what I think we miss or what I tended to miss for many, 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 many years is what's up with Joseph of Arimathea? Who is this guy and what is he doing? Because the first thing that we learn about Joseph of Arimathea is that he took a risk. What kind of risk did he take? And now at the moment that you say you are going along with the man who has been killed and is hanging on a cross, You're aligning yourself with the ways of that person. And so the risk is that he already had respect. He already had privilege and opportunity in this society and he puts it all on the line to go and ask for the body of Jesus. Now just think about this risk that he puts forth and now put yourself in his shoes and think about 2017 and ask yourself, what would it look like for you to take a risk to go to someone who might be in the midst of being crucified? Someone who is experiencing death and pain and torture and struggle. What does that look like to be a Joseph of Arimathea and take a risk and go towards them. And so he goes and he says to Pilate, can I have the body of Jesus? The thing is that Jesus shouldn't have been dead yet. And so Pilate is surprised, not so much that Joseph has taken a risk in asking for the body of Jesus. He's more surprised by the fact that Jesus is actually dead. You should have to suffer more on the cross, apparently. But Jesus has died. And so he's surprised that Jesus is dead, which I just love this picture of them going, the Roman officer coming back to Pilate and being like, he's dead, and Pilate being like, wow. Because just wait, in three days, he's going to be even more surprised when Jesus rises from the dead. And so he says to Joseph, okay, you can have the body of Jesus. And it's at this point in time that I skip over the details that have now to this day most impacted the way I view these events. It says he took Jesus's body down from the cross. How do you remove a body from a cross? 
Think about this picture. You have to experience what we just tried to experience afresh with the crucifixion of Jesus. You have to imagine bearing witness to the one you love, to the one you thought was going to be the Messiah, the coming King, the one who you watched heal and save and love and serve in ways that no one else had done, and you watched him die. You knew that he was dead. You saw the authorities come and get him. You saw him wearing a crown of thorns. You saw all of that. And now you show up at the cross, and he's still hanging on the cross, dead. How do you take a body down from the cross? It's likely that Joseph would have shown up with a few other people. They would have gotten a ladder. Somebody would have climbed up on the ladder and they would have taken a cloth and they would have tied the cloth around Jesus's arms and his feet. And they would have started with the arms. They would have taken the nails out, but how do you take the nails out? You hammer them from the other side. And imagine hammering out the nails that have pierced the arms of Jesus. And every time you hammer it out one time, whack, whack. You think about them when they went in. You're reminded of that picture. And they take the nails out of Jesus' arms and now he's suspended with the cloth. They take the nails out of his feet. There's people up on the ladder and his lifeless body drops into their arms. You take the lifeless body of Jesus that you just took down from the cross and you set it in the linen sheet that you bought. You wrap him in it. And now you have to carry Jesus's lifeless body to the tomb you're burying him in. There's a painting that I've been reflecting on that gives us a, a picture. This was painted in about the year 1300. It hangs in the Duomo in Siena. Just look at it for a moment with me. The man in white up on the ladder was Joseph. The woman catching Jesus' body is his mother, Mary. Can you be surprised about a story you know so well? You can enter into it again. You can experience the emotion, the pain, the smell, the touch, the sight of taking Jesus' body down from the cross. And then we read that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, were nearby and they saw where Jesus' body was laid. I don't know how close or how much they participated, if at all. Obviously, that's a 
representation of what was going on there. But they saw where his body was laid. They were close enough to watch the action, to see what was going on. What have you seen now? And what will you do? Because here's what they did. After Jesus was placed in the tomb, Mark 16, one begins like this. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, it's a whole day that we don't have represented in our text. It goes from Friday night to Saturday night. We don't have a picture of the Sabbath, but we find out when it ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body and give it a proper burial. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way there, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? Again, a detail to not be overlooked is who's missing. Where are the disciples of Jesus? They're hiding. They're afraid, which is fair, but they're still afraid. Who shows up? The women show up like they've always shown up and they keep showing up. And I don't know what that might mean to us today, right now, but it means something. As we watch the women be the ones to go and tend to the body of Jesus to show themselves out there. Their boldness mirrors the boldness of Joseph, of Arimathea. They say, we are with him, even though he's dead. And they haven't yet solved on their way there how they're even going to get to the body of Jesus. That's not the point. The point is that they're gonna show up. It's gonna happen. They're, they're just gonna figure it out. I love that picture. That's such a, just a, if you zoom back out and you go, what is faith like? It's a lot like that. You just show up. You're not sure how it's gonna happen just yet, but you get there. You keep going. You keep moving one little step and you might just find what they find. Verse four. But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. End of the Gospel of Mark. Now, there's going in a minute here, you'll figure out what's going on. There's, there's uh, scribes who inserted endings after this later in time. And we have that in our Bible to help us try and understand what the heck's going on. But this was the end of Mark. Like why, why does it end so abruptly like that? And first of all, if the women fled and they said nothing to anyone, 
how the heck do we know anything? Because they were the only ones who were there. Like, why does it end like this? Apparently, we don't need any more details than this. We don't need any more facts than this of what we just saw and witnessed and experienced with Joseph, first of all, and then these women. This is what we need. So what do we do with this? What is this abrupt ending? It's a, it's a great tool if you're a writer. You just like, bam, you end that thing and you're just, What? What do you do with this? And this is what I want us to wrestle with at this point. What do you do with this? What do you do with this? The resurrection of Jesus. The angel in the white robe who says, he's not here. He's risen from the dead. Go to Galilee. He'll be there just like he said because he always shows up where he says he's going to show up. Later, this was what was added by a scribe. This is known as the shorter ending of Mark. I spared you the longer ending of Mark, but you can find that. It's like eight verses anyway. The short ending reads like this. Then they briefly reported all this to Peter and his companions. Afterward, Jesus himself sent them out from east to west with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen. That's what they did with the abrupt ending. They said, here's what happened. But there's something so crazy about everything that we've just encountered from the crucifixion to the removal of Jesus' body, from the cross to the burial to the resurrection. Like there is so much mystery in all of this because we're going, uh, and this saves us, what? Who, how? And this is where I just want you to experience what it might mean to you. Just embrace the mystery and look at all of this and go, man, this is incredible. If it's true, what does it do for you and the way you live your life is for you to sort through. But do that sorting and look at this story that you just entered into and go, now what? And for me, coming out of that, there's some practical questions that I've been wrestling with because I've looked at it maybe differently than I have before. And I keep asking myself, who in this world is being crucified? Who am I participating in the crucifixion of? Like, where where am I making that happen? And when I say that, I think about all of the world that's, that's hurting, struggling, dying. There's specific people. There's people in our country. There's people the world over. Pay attention to the places in which people are being crucified. And once you notice that, what does it look like to go and join them in that? Because now you know that you follow a savior who walks in those places too, who knows what it's like to be crucified and killed, who knows what it's like to defeat it, go with that. God, maybe you need to be a Joseph in those places because you ask yourself if somebody's being crucified, what does resurrection look like for them? How do you provide the healing and bring the healing to those places? That is what the people of God who are kingdom bringers are about. They're paying attention to the places that need resurrection and they bring it because they serve a God who already showed them what that looks like. That's the picture that's so backwards about Jesus, his sacrifice and self-emptying love. Where are you gonna pour your life 
out. If this is true, if resurrection is true, how does it change the way we live? Who do we need to share this story with? Who do we need to share our story with? But first, you've got to ask yourself. And if there was ever a sermon that has no ending but a question, it's this one. What does it mean for you? Let's give Jesus the the last word of our time of preaching here. And so go ahead and be still and silent before him and you can ask him that question. Bring these questions before him that you have. Let him speak into that. Maybe just sit and be with him and imagine all of this happening again. But take a little time with him and I'll close this out shortly. As you continue to just sit in a a posture of prayer and reflection, and just speak over the top of you for a moment in that. We've witnessed today, whether it's through the things we've sung, whether it's through the testimonies of people being baptized, whether it's watching them go into the water and come out into new life. And then we take this story of Jesus being crucified, buried, and raised to life. I don't think we can skip over the reality that this is a life that God's calling us to. To saying yes to Jesus in which we die and in him we find new life. Because sometimes life feels like carrying a corpse or taking a body off a cross. But Jesus gets that, he knows that. Jesus is the one who saves. I don't say it any better than the stories of people's lives actually being changed, say it. And so I just wanna give you that opportunity over the top of all of this, that if you want to, as we say, cross the line of faith, then you can do that today. And in order to do that, I I would request that you either pray in your seat right here where you are, that you would find someone after the service at the yellow tables, that you would find me, you would find one of our staff, you would find your friend and you would say, I'm I'm making this decision. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus today and finding new life. And you would have that conversation. But I want to, I want to open up the door for you to step into that. God, we thank you that you are a God who invites us into relationship with you. You ask us to lay our lives down before you. And in doing so, you raise us to new life because your son Jesus was first. The ultimate picture through his death on the cross, through his blood that's shed, we are saved. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, you've brought him up out of the grave and given him new life. And he's the first of the resurrected people that you call us to be. And so God, I pray that as your church, we would live as resurrected people and we would have eyes to see the crucifixions all around us. And we would have bold hearts like Joseph and the women to go to those places that need resurrection and we would offer it in self-emptying love just as you showed us through your son, Jesus. Let that be what marks us. Let that be who we are. God, we love you so much. 
pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.